The world's nations have just signed the most significant deal yet to protect biodiversity on the planet. What does this deal include? Why is it important? And what will businesses and financial institutions have to start doing to comply? Welcome to Renewable Future. Welcome to Renewable Future from the Renewable Materials Company, Stora Enso. It was in the early hours of the morning of December 19th, 2022, when a new agreement was pushed through. <laughs> Aimed at protecting, well, nature, life on Earth, reversing the trend of biodiversity loss. After lengthy and contentious debate over a 12-day period at the United Nations COP Summit in Montreal, Canada, world leaders agreed in what is now known as the Montreal Kunming Global Biodiversity Framework. It's really about setting out an ambitious plan to implement action, to bring about a transformation, really, in the way that we as a society relate to biodiversity. That's Stacey Bagley, a senior advisor at the UN Environment Programme World Conservation Monitoring Centre. She was present in Montreal for the talks. And it's part of this broader ambition across the Convention of Biological Diversity to reach a shared vision of living in harmony with nature by 2050. And it's going to affect everyone, the way we work, the way we live, the way we farm. So it's how can we like galvanise that urgent action needed across all of society. So while this is implemented by governments, the effects and implementation should involve different actors of society, be that business, financial institutions, individual um, people like indigenous peoples and local communities. So it's really trying to bring together those kind of goals and framing that act across society. So within the goals, we have things around resiliency, connectivity and integrity of ecosystems, reducing that extinction of threatened species, looking at sustainable use and management of biodiversity, and also that element of how nature provides benefits to us. So we're really looking at nature's contribution to people and enhancing and maintaining those benefits we received. So how are we doing it? Well, there's 23 targets in the biodiversity framework, and some of them are highly ambitious. One, for example, is to protect 30% of nature by 2030. But essentially, it's looking, how do we increase the amount of the world that is under protection? And when we say protection, it's not just about demarcating it with a boundary and saying, there we go, that's conserved now. It's about how do we make sure there's connectivity in our landscapes? How do we make sure that it's effective in what it's looking to do? So do we have effective management practices in place? It's looking at making sure we're focusing efforts towards those most important areas for biodiversity as well. And it's also about how can we recognise the importance of indigenous and traditional territories as part of that. Another target, target 15, is aimed at the business community. It's requiring big business to disclose what impact it's having on biodiversity. In fact, the text reads that large and transnational companies are required to disclose their risks, dependencies and impacts on biodiversity. 
And that includes their operations, their value chains, supply chains and whole portfolio. So it's a really big push towards getting businesses to really think about what their risks, their impacts, dependencies are and coming together to transparently disclose those um, externally. Now, the deal has been agreed, so that's a major success. But even if it hadn't been agreed, there was still a lot of progress in Montreal on another front. One of the biggest differences at this Biodiversity Cup was that... Business has really arrived, which I think is an extremely positive sign. Toby Croucher. I'm a senior vice president at Store Enzo for Climate and Nature. Toby was also in Montreal. The order of magnitude, I think, is around a 20-fold increase in business participation between the last Biodiversity Cup and this one. Why do you think that is, that so many businesses are now taking an interest in, in biodiversity? I think it's, it's two reasons. One of them is the, the interlock with climate. Uh, the climate issue and the biodiversity issues can't be kept separate. And there's a, there's a codependency. And, and also, I think companies from all sectors and all industries are realising that they, they have to understand uh, their biodiversity impacts and dependencies better and the contribution they can make to biodiversity. And that's something that historically hasn't been done uh, across all industries in the way now uh, the, the ambition is being set to do. So I think how, how the world sets its, its, its direction on biodiversity and charts a course on biodiversity in the, con- in the broadest context of nature has suddenly become of, of, of great interest and great importance in a way it wasn't several years ago. Important now for businesses, but will everyone really want to disclose what effect they're having on nature? It's not mandatory right now, but the directive for large companies to be transparent is being welcomed by many. One of those is... Ingrid Coquillian, Head of Impact and Sustainable Investing at Federated Hermes. Federated Hermes is a global investment company. They have nearly 2,000 employees located around the world and assets across all asset classes. They're big and they're very positive about this requirement for corporates to start disclosing how they're affecting nature. You need to engage with corporates in order to help them as well as educate them on their impacts and dependencies on nature and what they can do. At Federated Hermes, we have been working on biodiversity for a number of years now and we actually have a 2030 net positive biodiversity policy in place for our um, engagement framework. Uh, we last, last year, for instance, we engaged with over 1,200 companies and with majority of those companies, we have asked them to start understanding from the risk perspective their dependencies on nature and from the strategic perspective as well the outcomes that they have on nature. And we have asked them to start looking at the ways how they can avoid and reduce negative impacts on nature. So this is very important. And why this is important is that if you look at some of the biggest culprits with regards to biodiversity loss, majority of those companies are public companies. So you really need to engage. Second thing with regards to the financial Um, industry overall involvement is the flow of capital and the flow of capital should be directed at those companies that are helping preserve, restore biodiversity. But now what you're doing sounds pretty unique in the finance world, or am I incorrect? I mean, that's making those requirements on the companies that you're working with and asking them to disclose. And yeah, just your competitors aren't doing that, are they? 
So we have been, I mean, we are known as pioneers in responsible investing and we usually are ahead of the curve. And we have noticed in dealing with, with corporates and just looking at the overall systemic risk that biodiversity poses on the planet, how important it is to make it a part of A, risk management and B, strategic decisions. I mean, just take example of agriculture or food. The estimate is that there will be 10 billion people on the planet in the next 20 to 30 years. We are already dealing with scarce resources and the estimate is that we will need 60% more food than we do today. If you don't address these issues, we are going to be in a very precarious situation, both from the food provision as well as the water resources. And you think the rest of the finance community will follow then? I believe so. After seeing the turnout, I really think that you're going to see a big push from the finance community in helping to prevent further biodiversity loss as well as restore biodiversity. Now, if you're a business and you're just starting to grapple with the idea of monitoring your effect on biodiversity, then help is at hand. Stacey Bagley at the UN Environment Programme World Conservation Monitoring Centre. It's very difficult to capture biodiversity in a single metric. But there are many approaches out there. There's a number of different metrics, tools, frameworks that have been developed to allow businesses to start to measure their impact specifically, increasing so on their dependencies. Um, So some of the work that we've been involved in at UNEP WCMC is a project called Align. And what this has been looking to do is to provide a more standardised set of criteria and principles that businesses can start to use to select the most appropriate metrics, measurement frameworks and that sort of thing. Um, So that's really what this, this Align project is looking to do, is set out the what should be measured and then how that can be measured in different decision making contexts. Toby Croucher at Stora Enso adds that there is also a standardised framework for disclosure to work with. And he adds that businesses can do more than just disclose their effect on nature. What businesses are being expected to do now is get a more complete understanding of their impacts and their relationship with biodiversity directly in their operations, and of course we have a, a large uh, forest business in, in Store Enzo, so directly, but also through through supply chains and through financing mechanisms and through impacts all the way through your business strategy. So that's something, that level of understanding will be pushed very much through something called the Task Force for Nature-Related Financial Disclosure, TNFD, which is a, a disclosure framework to understand your relationship with biodiversity. That's going to be the first step for business is to get that that understanding and visibility uh, beyond what uh, what they've historically understood. The second thing I, I think is is to start looking for opportunities where a positive impact and positive outcomes can be driven by changing process, changing behaviours, changing in uh, investments, changing priorities to start to drive positive outcomes. And I think that's that's where business, once they've built that understanding of uh, their, 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 their impacts and dependencies, and they've achieved that disclosure, and that isn't without challenge. But on top of that will be built, I think, an increasing look at where to have a positive contribution. Now, Stora Enso has a vested interest in protecting forests in particular. It's the lifeblood of its business. 
And that's one of the reasons why the company has been looking at biodiversity for decades. But they're stepping up their ambitions here too. The goal is to have a net positive impact on biodiversity. How are they going to do that? We're building biodiversity action planning processes at a business level to bring together all of the activities and enhancement opportunities so there's a cohesive collective view on how we approach biodiversity at an operational level. The really important challenge around biodiversity, and this has been a long-standing challenge, is the measurement of outcomes. That's an area where we're investing in and building an approach that allows us to, to use all of the, the data inputs that are available on biodiversity, and they are, it was a big challenge area at COP15 around data and access to data, and bringing that data together, building that data into effectively a, a, a digital twin for biodiversity, so you understand the condition state, the distribution of, of, of species, um, all of the structural elements that contribute to uh, habitats, building that into an approach where you, you you can model the outcomes, you can link those modeled enhancements back into to your monitoring and your management, and you st- start to effectively build a continuous improvement loop. Stora Enso then is building a virtual world that is a, a copy of the real world, or a copy of the forests and plantations that Stora Enso manages. And then they're testing what will happen if they harvest in one area or if they leave more dead wood in another area. How will that affect the biodiversity? And then by doing that, they can create accurate forecasts for the future and make the best decisions to protect biodiversity. And I think that's going to be something over the next few years that will be absolutely critical that companies can not just describe their policy and their activities, but can actually show the outcomes and demonstrate with real data uh, what those outcomes are. That's not been achieved by any company yet, actually. So that's a real first and a real leading area of focus for us in Storenzo. Now, let's just get back to that deal in Montreal, the Montreal Cunning Biodiversity Framework, because there are a few other key issues in there that will affect businesses, and they have to do with financing. One is with subsidies. Some industries that are damaging biodiversity today are being subsidised by governments. That's now due to end at the rate of $500 billion per year. Ingrid Kukulian again. This is very important because if you look at the subsidies, the negative effect they have on biodiversity, it's to the tune of about 1.8 trillion per annum. That's not all, though. They're also earmarking funds from developed countries to developing countries. Well, they have put a requirement for financing flows from developed to the developing countries at 20 billion per annum to 2050 and 30 billion by 2030. And majority of this is going to go to, you know, small island countries. And this is a very positive step. And, you know, the early stage developing countries that really don't have any financing for biodiversity. Yes. And these are the very countries that have the richest biodiversity often. Exactly. Now, all three of our guests in this podcast were in Montreal for the COP discussions, and all three are optimistic, cautiously and to varying degrees. First, Stacey Bagley from the UN Environment Programme World Conservation Monitoring Centre. I feel really positive about it. I mean, there's always more to be done. We can always ask for more ambition at, at every single level. And I know there's also this sort of 
adoption to implementation takes time as well. Um, but I do feel really optimistic based on the, the conversations that were had um, from that kind of policy space, but also from the businesses themselves. Toby Croucher. So I think there are many challenges, but I think what we've seen in Montreal, we've seen it in COP, I think is the is the beginning of a new type of approach to this agenda where it isn't siloed around a particular industry or a particular type of impact, where it starts to become a cross-industry, a cross-stakeholder uh, focus. And I think that's why the COP15 has been so important. In, in the next few years, we're going to see you know, new expectations. We'll see science-based targets for nature being produced. We'll have the disclosure frameworks, TNFD. And I think all of these steps at the right pace will start to move us into a position where we can bend the curve on nature, absolutely. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take investment and effort and collaboration. The, the window opportunity is, is, is now, and I, I, I certainly think it's possible. Ingrid Kukulian from Federated Hermes. I am optimistic, yes. I have to be. <laughs> I have to be optimistic. No, definitely. Look, it, it's not, I wouldn't say this was the Paris moment, but I think this is a huge step forward. It is biggest thing that has happened to nature in the last 10 years or so. And finally, we will see some proper targets that need to be achieved. And we will see, a, hopefully, a global cooperation taking place in order to protect nature. And what's important is not just signing, it's the implementation that is important. Everybody likes to sign, but we have to see some, you know, we have to see some tangible things come out now in terms of regulation and and legislation on a national level. So while our speakers say it's not at the level of the Paris Agreement on climate change, it is a breakthrough with the potential to stop biodiversity loss and the eventual destruction of nature and our planet. It will also change the way we live and work in the future. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Renewable Future from the Renewable Materials Company, Storenso. We'd love to hear your feedback and ideas for new programmes or any comments you may have. Mail to podcast at storeenso.com.